Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Only a hippopotamus will do. Don't want a doll, no dinky tinker toy. I want a hippopotamus to play with and enjoy. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. All right, here we go. Five o'clock hour, festive mood. A sad day with Frank O'Harris. We'll get to that. That part's a bummer. But Willie just reestablished that he loves Christmas. He's just been too sick to decorate. Uh, Justin Watkins, our uh, attorney, just was in here saying that uh, he's not anti-Santa. So all is good. All is good. We can all dream. We can all dream. And when we talk about the XFL, there are so many good stories. And this one's a great one. Really good. As we intro you to uh, the various members of the team and who's trying to make the team, uh, one of the guys for the uh, Vegas Vipers is Sean Price. Sean is up with us now, and Sean is working a regular job. Sean is up with Cofield and Company. How are you, sir? I'm blessed. How are you doing, sir? We're good. We're good. I hope you have a happy holiday, and there's a hell of a story we want to tell the Vegas audience. I'm glad you carved out a couple of minutes for us. Are you off today, or are you like on a break? I hope we're not interrupting your shift. No, I just got off at 7 p.m., so we're good. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, talk about your football background and what position you play, and then we'll uh, we'll get into the other stuff. Uh, yeah, so I uh, played tight end uh, from out of Central Florida. Played the college ball 2012-2015 at USF. Was projected to go third round my senior year um, in the bowl game. I tear my PCL, so that kind of shattered my my uh, hopes of getting drafted in the third round. You know, getting signed by Baltimore. Was there for a very short stint of time. Uh, once I got released from there in 2015, and I'm getting picked up by Green Bay in 2016 for some mini camps. Um, then I got cut from Green Bay, ended up moving back to Colorado, Fort Carson, worked there for a year, and then the uh, AAF started up in 2018. Um, had a chance to play one of the legendary coaches himself, Steve Spurrier, um, and the AAF played with him for that short stint of time, the Orlando Apollos. Once that ended, um, Went back to the drawing board, worked at the Phoenix House as a drug advocate, um, pretty much rehabilitation purposes. And then the XFL started in 2020, got picked up in the XFL, played with the Renegades until our good friend COVID-19 hit. Oh, no. Um, and then uh, from there, that was pretty much it. Now XFL is back around the corner. Yeah, we've been asking everyone with these kind of journeys, and you guys all have similar journeys, you know, especially the leagues that are just below the NFL. Like, why keep going? Why keep trying? Um, you know, it's 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 bigger than us, and you know, just to have that opportunity, um, you know, I'm pretty sure, like you said, a lot of guys go through that. And my biggest thing is, if you still have that itch, and you can be an inspiration to somebody, why not? Like, um, you know, you you can still play. If you can still work, work, yeah, keep that up, but just stay in shape. And to have that opportunity to go play ball again, something you've always wanted to do since you were a little kid, um, you never want to stop. I mean, as long as you physically can do it, you're mentally in it, um, just keep pushing. That's my advice, just keep pushing. You have that age, you never want to stop. I mean, be an inspiration to guys your age and kids coming up, like, hey, you know, I mean, he didn't make it his first round or, Second round, third time around, but his fourth time around, he got a shot. He made the most of it. Look at him. You know, so you think it's just being an inspiration to others. Let him know that it's never too late. Speaking with Sean Price, he will be playing for the Vegas Vipers in the XFL tight end. So, Sean, my question is, uh, you know, I have a couple of 
former NFL player friends, um, one I'm very close with, when he goes to the gym, he still to this day trains like he did. I want to say he uh, he was taught a specific conditioning training regimen when he was with the then Redskins. Um, he played with four different teams. With what you do for a living, um, you have to stay obviously in shape, well conditioned. When you go to the gym, do you go and train like a like a football player? Do you continue? Have you continued to lift and condition like a football player? So when they made that call, you were already somewhat in that mindset. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think I train a little harder now that I'm not playing ball. Um, You know, I haven't been playing ball, so I could push my body to those limits and not have to worry about getting ready for game day. Um, So, yeah, every time I go to the gym, it's intense. It's funny you say that. Every time I leave the gym, people are like, man, you always come in here and leave leave out looking like you just got out of the shower. Like, I'm drenched. It's just just something in me, man. I I love to get after it. Fitness is a lifestyle to me. It's being in good health. And I've been around a block long enough to understand, especially with these wonderful opportunities, these spring leagues coming around, like, you, you never know what can happen, you know, so you never want to have to get ready, you always want to stay ready is my mentality. You, and with what we're seeing, a lot of the injuries, and you talked about your PCL, do you now train, in a sense, maybe not to build for strength, but almost to prevent? Because there are ways that you can train your body, especially in the lower body, um, to build muscle, say, around the joints that we use, um, specific leg exercises. Do you build um, with the mindset of preventing injury, or is it a combination of things? What, what, what are your goals when you train, or do you run different programs? Yeah, so my, my, my main thing, yes, when I first start off, is the warm-up is crucial. That's something I had to learn as I got older. Um, my main goal before I start any workout is to make sure my body is prepared for that workout. So, I do a lot of lot of band workouts, working with small small muscle fibers around the big major muscles. Um, the ones that we often neglect as athletes. Um, so I do target that when I work out the small muscle groups to prevent injuries. Uh, but my main thing is cardio and speed. Um, I lift, but not like I used to because I understand now the way the game has changed and evolved. Everything is based on speed and longevity. So that's kind of what I care towards too when I'm training these days. We got Sean Price with us, one of the Vipers, our new XFL team that's going to be starting up here in January. So you are also a police officer. So how are you going to balance this, you know, continued quest for football and your real job? Um, it's been a journey, um, to say the least. I can say that our chief of police here, uh, Chief Balkin, has been very supportive. I mean, coming right. on to the job, you know, he asked me, he was like, hey, you know, what made you want to be a pol- you know, police officer? Um, you know, how are you, what's going to happen if football comes around? I was very transparent with him. I said, hey, if ball comes around, Chief, honestly, I'm definitely going to take it. But as of right now, um, being an officer is one of my, it was one of my main priorities, getting back to my community. Um, but with, with that being said, being an officer, um, it's, it has similarities to playing football, but you also want to be in shape out there if you're in a cop because you never know what you're going to get into. You never know people you're dealing with. Um, so I think being a law enforcement officer alone just kind of, for me personally, it, it drove me to want to be in shape. Cause God forbid I have gotten a situation with someone, tussled with someone, and my life depended on my physical health. So, What kind of town is Ocala, Florida? I'm sorry, one more time? Uh, what kind of town is Ocala, Florida? What's it like? Um, it's, it's, it's horse capital. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. It's one of the biggest cities um, for the equestrian world, so it's a lot of ranching up here. Um, but it is one of the major growing cities in the state of Florida. So it's kind of turning into a mini Orlando. We got 
a larger crowd, a bunch of different diversities and communities moving into the area. So things can amp up at times. We have sometimes it's chill and sometimes things get a little crazy here in Ocala. Is it more of a Florida Gator or Florida State town? Neither. Really? Neither. Wow. Yeah, no, me, didn't grow up liking either one of those. I okay. was the uh, Miami Hurricanes fan. Okay, there you go. There you go. What I know about Ocala is the uh, they still have the glass-bottom boats. That's right. We yeah. still have those. I actually live uh, like 10 minutes up the road from that park. There you go. There you go. I'm old. I'm old, but I remember that from like the uh, <laughs> late 70s, early yeah, it's 80s been, it's been visit, yeah, visiting it's as, a, a as a tourist. That's good. That's real good. Good, Willie. You said you're a Hurricanes fan. The owner of the XFL, obviously The Rock, uh, or Dwayne Johnson. Uh, I would imagine that he, I don't know if he has the itch to put it on, put the pads on, but have you met him yet? And I would think that he could still probably hit the field. Oh, I I haven't met him yet, but uh, I'm a big fan of Dwayne Johnson and watching his films and Watching this insane workouts and a strict diet. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he could strap those pads on. Yeah, he's got that. One, he's got that one motivational video. I think it's it went viral either on TikTok or Reels, Instagram Reels. But the, and many people use the voiceover. But it's the one where it's like, you know, you get in the gym at 4 a.m. and then you do this and then you do that. Um, I've watched a lot of interviews um, on him while I'm in the gym training and everything. And, and he's got a, him and Kobe Bryant. I've watched a lot of interviews or motivational videos involving him. But his his gym, his personal home gym, is insane. Dwayne Johnson's. Yes. 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 And I think he was having a new one reconstructed not too long ago. I was watching his page. He's having another one built. So, yeah, I mean, Dwayne Johnson has worked at it. And just having him and, you know, his his um, his business partner, Mizzy Garcia, the way they work hard, I mean, you couldn't ask for any better bosses than some people that could just actually relate because, you know, like you said, he shared his story. And his story is similar like most of the guys in XFL. You know, we all had dreams to go play in the NFL for a very long time. But, you know, life dealt us different cards. And he's one of those individuals who can say that, you know, it wasn't given to him. And, you know, he chose an alternate route. But now he's taking the time to get back to guys who went through things much like himself. And he's given us an opportunity to fulfill our dreams. So, Shout out to him and, you know, his business partner, Vince Garcia. Well, I got news for you. When you get to Las Vegas, uh, you have a personal invite. My son and I own a private gym and facility. He's a two-time bodybuilding champ in the natural world. So you can, uh, you can come and train with uh, with him. But I- I'll go in there, but I ain't training with you two. Uh, <laughs> what are you looking forward to most about coming to Las Vegas, though? I mean, in terms of just, you know, getting out here and get outside of – um, outside of uh, football, because we, you know, we talked to the Golden Knights, we talked to the Raiders, we talked to the Aces. Once they've gotten here, man, man, there's so much more to Vegas than the Strip. What are you looking forward to? You know, um, I've never been to Vegas, so I'm just looking to the, the entirety of the city, just just exploring. You know, I'm learning new things, seeing what the city has to offer. I mean, I look up things on Google and you know YouTube, but it's nothing like experiencing yourself. So, just kind of want to get out there and see what the life is like and. I know that they have a great fan base and supporting staffs and seeing all the other sport teams would be great. So I'm just looking forward to sports for the entire experience. Well, Sean, we appreciate a couple minutes right before the holidays and uh, good luck with this run in the XFL. And we definitely want to uh, grab you for an interview once you get here, but have a good holiday. Yes, sir. You too. You have a wonderful holiday now. There it is, Sean Price. Police officer in Ocala, Florida. So many cool stories of guys still trying to make it yeah. uh, in A-League and eventually to the league. Last week we talked to uh, Matt Jones, who was a former Gator player. And in this case, uh, Sean went to uh, South Florida. But Matt Jones 
was saying that uh, you know he was kind of dabbling in real estate. I think Matt was 29. Uh, he was dabbling in real estate. Was doing some stuff with a car dealership. It's got to be that weird zone when you're like 27 to 32 and you're still trying to go at it. You know, it's different, right? Minor league baseball. Um, if you can get you know some sort of a decent deal where you're getting a little major league money, minor league baseball, you see guys play until they're you know some guys play until they're 35, 36, 37 years old. Physicality standpoint, you can't really do that with football. And there's also really hasn't been an established minor league that you could really rely on to stay around for four, five, six years where you can make some money. Yeah, and you never know what when someone's going to come knock, and that's why I'd ask them. You know, in terms of the training regimen. Um, one of my favorite local stories, Cam Jefferson, who played at UNLV when played at Arkansas, he was bouncing down at a nightclub, yeah. and he gets a call from his agent, and he ends up getting on the practice squad with the Broncos, and never, you know, never made it to to to, to game time, but they won the Super Bowl that year, and you know, and, and I and I did an article on him for my own uh, page, and and he had said, you know what, when you're lining up across from Von Miller and getting him ready for the Super Bowl. You, you earned a ring. Yeah, you were part of the team, right? Yeah, you were part of the There's team. There's so many good stories on this team. We talked to Luis Perez, one of the quarterbacks on the Vipers. And by the way, you can put down your deposit for the tickets, xfl.com, look up Vipers, and there's a page, there's a button there. You can put down your deposit for the Vegas Vipers, our new XFL team. Uh, Luis Perez was telling me that his journey to play quarterback was a little bit screwy in high school and right out of high school, Willie, because... He wasn't being used as a quarterback in high school in Chula Vista, California. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I had to decide if I wanted to stick with football or go with bowling. I'm like, bowling? <laughs> what do you mean bowling? He's like, he's a high-level bowler. Sandy averaged 230. Jeez. So I was just thinking, our good buddy and Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Famer, Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Famer, Marty Cordova, Hmm. has been hitting me up every once in a while because, I don't know what it was, six or seven years ago, you know, we did one of our old guy triathlons, and we bowled. And I think I think he was on one of the losing teams. Cofield and company beat his team, or maybe he was, I don't know. But he's been dying to go bowling again. What a setup it would be if we could get Luis to come bowling with us and not tell Marty who he is oh, and be like, yeah. yeah, us against whoever you want to bring out. We just say it's one of them. And then, then Luis is like, yeah, I'm having a bad day. And it's like, you know, freaking yeah. 680 series. He's just a guy. And, and we're, all, it, we're all fighting to average like 170. We're filling in the team with just one of the guests, a sports guest. But that's yeah, it's but, our friend. But, yeah, it's, it's, our friend. Friend. it's our friend. Friend of the show. Yeah, he plays football. Friend of the show. Yeah, but he's, he's a pretty decent bowler. Yeah. Then, boom, just ripping freaking hooks down the lane. And we're just w- <laughs> putting wagers on every pin. Like, what the hell is going on? Well, that that would be dirty. Pin march. We've we've seen that. We've seen that. We've seen the we've seen the dirty wagering on the show in the past, and there's still a lot of bitterness over it. Well, it's like hustling in pools. A little bit. Wait, are we on the air? Oh, we we just laid out this whole plan on. The, that's not good. Someone will get it to Marty. Oh well. Oh well. But we do. That is uh, that is going to have to be one of our New Year's deals. We got to get out bowling. I think Willie. I'm, I will guarantee Willie's a better bowler than Adam Hill. No one's worse than Adam. He's got his Fred Flintstone little, little yeah, that's exactly what he sounds like. That's what it looks like when he's tiptoeing up the lane. The big day is this Friday. Cofield and Company's Festivus. Compile your list of complaints now. Bradshaw trying to get away. And his pass is broken up by Tatum. Tipped off. Rachel Harris has it. 
And he's over. Out of nowhere came Franco Harris, riding a white stallion, heading up Franco's Italian army, and galloping off into the sunset. From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Boy, it's got to be a freaking gut punch today in Pittsburgh. If you didn't hear, Franco Harris passes away. He's just a couple days away from being at that big celebration on Saturday, Christmas Eve. Raiders in town. 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. And I saw you know, a lot of people from Pittsburgh and a lot of people in the football community who had met Franco Harris over the years. Said he was a great guy in Pittsburgh. They're just freaking blown away. He was doing media yesterday. Um We'll get to it in the grab bag. I wanted to play a couple of comments from Franco Harris. He was on Sirius XM yesterday, and I saw he was on one of the local morning shows yesterday. You're talking about this upcoming weekend. Um, that is one of the most famous plays, the Immaculate Reception, in football history. There's a there's a display in Pittsburgh when you get to the airport. That's how big that is to the city of Pittsburgh. And I know Terry Bradshaw has been making the the rounds today. So tough day for Steelers fans and, you know, all time great player and an icon of the seventies. If you, if you watched or at least researched football of the seventies, you know who Franco Harris is. He's one of the biggest figures in NFL history. It's a gut punch to all of us. Cause you think back then, um, you think back of the names, right? And you think back, like, like if I were to think back, someone would say, you know, the running backs of back then, like my favorite player, my favorite NFL player of all time is Walter Payton. But, you know, Tony Dorsett, Earl Campbell, Franco Harris. Realistically, unless you're a diehard fan of a specific team, there weren't there wasn't another name that maybe Barry Sanders that, or not was it Barry? Yeah, that fit in, but not the even Barry doesn't go that far back. Payton was more in the eighties of a star. But when you think about the star running backs, Franco Harris was, and I'm not saying the best or the top, but it's like when you think back for our era, when we fell in love with sports, I mean, those were the guys. Tony Dorsett, right? Earl Campbell and uh, Franco Harris. Giveaway time, 364-1100, We got tickets to uh, Iggy Pop playing in 2023 at the Pearl inside the Palms. Tickets are on sale now. Iggy Pop in town in Vegas in 2023. Ticketmaster.com. It's at the Pearl. Inside the Palms, Iggy Pop tickets. Ari's got them right now, 364-1100, Caller number seven. Are you ready to air your ESPN Las Vegas grievances? Festivus comes this Friday on Cofield & Company. It's Cofield & Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Hey, jingity jing. It's Dominic the donkey. Jingity jing. The Italian Christmas donkey. La, 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 la. La, 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 Santa's got a little friend. His name is Dominic. The cutest little donkey, you never see him kick. When Santa visits his paisans with Dominic, he'll be 
Because the reindeer cannot climb the hills of Italy. Hey, jingity jing. It's Dominic the donkey. All right, well, holiday music. Dominic the Italian donkey was Lou Monti. We were playing the, uh, for Franco Harris earlier, we were playing the, uh, the polka, which is a uh, classic uh, Pittsburgh song feel with all the uh, classic Steelers in it. So we booked uh, Paul Guggenheimer from the uh, Pittsburgh Trib Review because we want to talk about Immaculate Reception. All this stuff's going on this weekend for Franco Harris and all the other players. And today, just terrible, man. Must It must be awful in Pittsburgh. And Paul is up with Steve and Willie here in Vegas. How are you, sir? I'm good. Steve and Willie, uh, it's, it's nice to be on with you. Uh, obviously, it's a sad day in Pittsburgh, but... Um, there, there are a lot of good memories and a lot of good Franco Harris stories going around that are keeping our spirits up. Yeah, what's some of the stuff you're hearing? Uh, our Vegas audience would love to hear it. I mean, I've seen so many Pittsburgh people get up on social media and talk about you know the shadow that he cast and that he was a good guy. So uh, what are some of the memories you have and that you've heard about Franco Harris? Well, uh, you know, first of all, from, from personal experience, Franco has always been a really nice guy and an easy-to-approach person, just very chill, very humble, not full of himself, and always had time to talk to people. And you can imagine when he goes out, and he lives here in Pittsburgh so and, and has since he started his career with the Steelers. You know, in the offseason, a lot of the players would – go back to where they made their off-season home or where they came from. But Franco, who was from New Jersey, that's where he grew up, He uh, and became a high school football star. After he graduated from Penn State and was drafted by the Steelers, he decided that he was going to make this his year-round home, and he's been here ever since. So um, he's a very visible, recognizable figure, and when people approach him, he's always very nice, very willing to talk, sign an autograph, take a selfie, strike the immaculate, uh, the immaculate <laughs> conception pose, excuse me, immaculate reception, reception pose. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, that's Franco. And he, everybody feels like he's the friendly neighbor. He got a place in the north side of Pittsburgh where Three Rivers Stadium was and where Akershire Stadium is today. And it was within walking distance on the north side of Pittsburgh, oh, wow. probably not far from where Art Rooney lived in and grew up. And the kids would would wait for him after the game and follow him back home like he was the Pied Piper. And he would walk with them and talk with them. And that's that's the kind of guy Franco Harris was. And he's such a big part of NFL history because that play, you know, was voted at one point the most famous play in the history of the league and your story did a really good job of uh, you know taking us down the path of first the setup and that was that hey we know about the immaculate reception but a lot of people don't remember just what a big deal it was just to win the freaking game it was an upset um you know the, the way it went down but also the Steelers were not good before that no uh there there's that famous quote from Art Rooney the, you know the patriarch of the Steelers who said before Franco got here, we didn't win much, and now that he's here, we never lose. They went 11-3 and his rookie season. He was voted the NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. He gained over 1,000 yards rushing. And, of course, uh, in spite of the great season he had, what everybody remembers from that year is something that was the 
career-defining play for a Hall of Famer, uh, a future Hall of Famer, and he's—I think he was inducted in 1990, if I'm—if I'm, my memory serves me correctly. And he, uh, you know, was it was a guy who went on to win four Super Bowls, was the MVP of Super Bowl nine, and had a rushing record. Rushed for over 150 yards in that game. I can't remember the exact total, but it's a record that still stands today. And in spite of all that, what people remember is the immaculate reception because it it really was a miracle. Terry Bradshaw, who I interviewed for the story you referenced, said it was a miracle and joked around that when he you know he got knocked to the ground, so when he got up. He could hear everybody cheering, and he saw Franco going into the end zone, and he <laughs> and that must have been one heck of a pass. I right, right. you son of a gun, you're going to be a hero to millions. He said. Um, so, but the other thing about that play, as you mentioned, the Steelers were a terrible team. They only made the playoffs in their first forty years of existence. Excuse me, they only made the playoffs once, but they only had seven winning seasons, seven winning records. So when the when the game came up against the Raiders, people were excited, but I don't think anybody was necessarily saying it was going to be a sure thing that they would win, and and people were always waiting for the other shoe to drop. They were always waiting for the Steelers to find some way to lose and blow it in the end. And when Kenny Stabler managed to outsmart the blitzing Steelers defense and run 30 yards for a touchdown with uh, just over a minute to go in the game, it looked like the Steelers were going to lose. And then Franco, you know, uh, Jack Tatum makes this incredible play to break up a pass that Bradshaw threw to Fuqua because um, the intended receiver on the play, Barry Pearson, wasn't open. So he's just trying to get the ball out to somebody to get a first down. He gets the ball, throws the ball out to Franco, and... Jack Tatum comes up from behind and absolutely clobbers him. Fuqua said he thought there should have been pass interference on the play. <laughs> and then the ball takes this weird ricochet. It goes seven yards, and it would defy the laws of physics for that ball to have gone off Fuqua and gone that far. People, Raiders fans in particular, like to say, oh, Fuqua touched it, and, and that's the only way it could have happened. The pass, the uh, completion and the touchdown should never have been allowed. But uh, the way Tatum came flying up upon Fuqua, the ball hit off of Tatum's right shoulder pad, and that ball you know, traveled a pretty long way, but not so long that it was a comfortable catch for Franco. He had to reach down and snag it just above his shoe, shoe tops and just somehow managed not to break stride and keep going and um, make it all the way, stay in bounds, make it all the way down the uh, sidelines and uh, score a, a, a touchdown for the ages. You talk and to that play. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I, I'm, no, I'm, I was say, know I'm going on it, and on. No, it's, a, it's, a, it's, there's so many legendary things in it. Like Frenchie Fuqua will never say what really happened. Like I, I think it was in your story that he was even offered a bunch of money Shortly after, yep. and he's like, "No, I'm not. I'm never going to tell." He still won't tell. No, he won't. He's very coy <laughs> about that, and um, you know, he won't won't divulge it. But I, I mean, he's not going to say anything. I don't think, other than that, the ball touched went Tatum, off of yep, Tatum. Yep. 
it could have kicked off of Fuqua's jersey maybe, but the ball, if, if it wasn't for Tatum, the ball's just not going to go back in that direction the way it did. So I agree. I think, I think that uh, they made the right call, and um, I know the Raiders fans don't want to hear that out there in Vegas, but uh, that's, that's the way it is. But the other thing about that play is that it propelled the Steelers to their dynasty, four Super Bowls in six years during the 70s. That was the play that convinced the Steelers that the hex is over, we can win, and they did. A lot. Yep. And then eventually get uh, you know Swan and Stallworth that receiver continue to build from there, and then they win four Super Bowls. You know the other crazy note that you had in it: um, only the people in the stadium got to see it. I wonder when the rest of Pittsburgh actually found out what the heck just happened because well, it wasn't it wasn't on you, TV, right? Locally, I can tell you. Uh, well, they all the news stations had had it on their highlights. Okay that night on their sports highlights. And in those days, it was, I think, 16-millimeter film was <laughs> was the industry standard before yeah. they went to um, ENG, electronic news-gathering videotape, and, and, you know, pulled highlights off the television, off of the other broadcasts. And the thing was, in fact, Franco didn't even know this. I interviewed him a while back for, for that story, and he didn't know that the game was not broadcast televised live it was televised on tape delay the next morning that game was played on a <laughs> oh saturday God. and sunday morning i think it was like ten thirty in the morning they're showing the replay of the game and that was the first time people got to see the whole game on television and the only reason that they showed it was because of what happened and uh, <laughs> that weekend that play was running constantly i think they they were running it as a commercial that Ah, let's just throw it in here and let people watch it again, that kind of thing. But um, so many strange things led up to that play. There was the play when they lost containment on Stabler after a blitz, and he goes and, and runs for a touchdown. Craig Hanneman yep. is someone that uh, Franco Harris should probably thank for blowing right. his assignment. Right. And and then you know the and then there's the the. Uh, they they were driving and then the, and then the drive stalls at their own forty and it's fourth and ten and a, and Bradshaw almost gets sacked manages to stay on his feet and get the ball out sees all he saw was a black jersey and he threw it toward Frenchie Fuqua and then there's the deflection and then Harris goes to the ball takes the advice of his college coach Joe Paterno who always said, go to the ball. He goes to the ball. And then uh, the, the Raiders thought the, the play was broken up, and they were celebrating for a, a couple of seconds and then realized, oh, no, here's Franco running for the end zone. And then Franco was thinking about going out of bounds because he was worried about the clock running out. If he didn't make it to the end zone, yeah. they can't at least attempt a field goal, which would have won the game. So he decides, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for the end zone. And he's barely staying in bounds as he goes down the sideline. And Jimmy Warren almost catches him. And, and in fact, he gets his hands on him. And Franco pushes him away with a stiff arm. And Jimmy Warren said Franco's uniform was wet, his jersey was wet, and his hands just kind of slipped off. Mm. So there were just all of these fortunate things that happened, a succession of, of fortunate events. And, and obviously... 
you know, Bradshaw said the obvious. It was a miracle, and it was. Paul Guggenheimer is with us. Pittsburgh uh, trip review. You can read the story. It was up earlier in the week. We'll uh, we'll tweet that out as well. Uh, last thing we should mention, too, you know how much we all complain now about officiating and, you know, the replay and this and that. There was a huddle forever. Like, everyone was just standing on the field wondering what the hell is going on. Make a call. And I, I'm not even sure this was legal. I guess did the, the, the main official, wasn't he on the phone? Like, who was he talking to? Were they even allowed to do that back then? Just make the call. Well, I don't think there was a precedent. I, it, right. This had never come up before. So right. there, was, there wasn't a rule in place to say that you can't do this. So uh, the referee, I, th- I think there was one official on the field who signaled touchdown. And the referee was, was not sure and, and called a conference. And everybody was disagreeing. Everybody was thinking that they had seen something different. And so he goes to the dugout. He asks someone on the stadium crew uh, to take him to a phone, and they go into one of the baseball dugouts, because this was a multi-purpose stadium back then, and he calls up to the press box and speaks to the supervisor of officials who people say saw the replay and made a decision based on that. But, mm. but what he, what he d- ended up doing was listening to what the referee told him he saw and, and saying, well, uh, the guy, the referee's name was Fred Swearingen and he calls up to the NFL supervisor of officials, Art McNally. And McNally just basically says, if that's what you saw, then that's what you saw. Right. And it's a touchdown. And people say that McNally made the influence the decision but because he saw the replay up in the press box. But the NFL to this day denies that that's what happened or that replay played a factor in it. But a lot of people like to say it was the first time that replay was ever used in an NFL game. And for all we know, maybe it was. Well, it's certainly going to be an emotional day, uh, you know, in what was supposed to be a celebration. There's going to be a sadness around it. It'll be really interesting to see what happens on Saturday on uh, Christmas Eve with the Steelers and the Raiders. Paul, we appreciate a couple minutes, and again, I recommend everyone out there going and reading the story. There's so many cool details and really good stuff that you unearthed. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you so much. I, I appreciate it, Steve and Willie, and um, I, uh, I, I, there's no shortage of things to say about the immaculate reception, as you can tell from me. Yes, yes. Thanks, Paul. Take care, guys. Hey, that could be the case in like 20 years with Belichick's blunder, or whatever. They're what? What's the other stupid name? I don't know. Lateral the, damage lateral or something. Damage yeah. and... Right? Because there were so many things that happened on that play. I was watching something the other day with, uh, you know, they got the camera fixated on Derek Carr, and I think he's sitting next to Lombardi, and. Derek Carr, you know, he's just like, eh, nothing's going to happen here. You know, just kind of talking, getting ready yeah. for overtime. And then he looks up at the screen, and you could see that at, at a moment, there's at a certain point, he's like, holy crap, Chandler Jones just got it. And Lombardi still, he's not looking. Right. And then Carr's like, whoa, like he just starts jumping around. He's he just starts hugging, hugging everybody. Yeah, yeah. It's so crazy. And going back to the Immaculate Reception, that official thing, I can only imagine what it was like in the stadium. They're all waiting on the field. The officials won't make a decision. This guy's calling up to the friggin' booth to Art McNally. And as Paul said, maybe McNally did just go, hey, what'd you see? That's what the call is. But you also wonder if McNally was like, okay, 
do we want to overturn this in Pittsburgh with this crowd all around us? What yeah. do we want to do here? What do you think is the best move? I wonder if that was uttered. Well, it's it's very conceivable that that was the case. N- not that they didn't care whether they got it right or wrong, but if it was so tight with whatever. Think about what we have now compared to then. If you go look at video of that, that's what they were looking at. I mean, with their own angles, but the same quality. They didn't have HD. Nah. So if it was that inconclusive to to, to overturn, they, if they didn't have enough, if they didn't have something conclusive to overturn it, they just said, we're not doing this here. The big day is this Friday. Cofield and Company's Festivus. Compile your list of complaints now. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. I wish you a Merry Christmas. I wish you a Merry Christmas. I Holy wish season you upon us. Willie Ramirez is here. It's Cofield. We got the Raiders game on Saturday. Short week for almost everyone in the NFL. We were talking earlier about goals for the rest of the season for the Raiders. Goal right now is to win out and take your chances that other things fall into place. I actually think everything is going to work out for them. If they did win out, which the games are, you know, the schedule here is a pain in the ass down the stretch, especially, you know, with uh, the Niners and the Chiefs coming to town to close things out. But I actually think everything else will happen to get them in. But Wouldn't gotta, it be just like the Raiders to get in? Or just fall short? No. I don't know. What is just like the Raiders anymore? No, I think I think you know when we talk about immaculate it, reception. It's like oh, that's just like the Raiders or the Tuck Rule. That's just like the Raiders. No, well they actually meaning, had a, they had a nice stroke of luck with this Belichick's blunder. Meaning everything's on the wall. Uh, the writing's on the wall for them not to make the playoffs and right. everybody to gripe and everything. So it would be just like them, just like that they won it, down yeah. the stretch last year to get in the playoffs and all of a sudden just show up. You know what I mean? Just it's like how did that happen? Well, man, I think we we know that they've been you know this close all year long. Just been one of these inexplicable seasons where, well, a year ago they won all these games, just about. Yeah. They won yeah. all the close games. This year, they've been on the wrong side of more of them. Now they're starting to chip back and win some of the close games. But you know, the Cardinals game was a freaking nightmare. the The Colts game was awful. They've lost a lot of close games this year. I think they're going to lose this week. You do think they're going to lose this week? All right. I think the weather's going to play a major factor on these guys. I th- I just think, and I hate to say it like this, but I think with Franco Harris dying, it's it's going to add a lot of emotion to this. I think if if that didn't happen, and then they celebrate, like that's going to take away from the game. It's going to take so the story's going to be what the Raiders have done last week's play. The Immaculate. Everyone's going to not going to talk about the Steelers. Like we haven't even brought up the fact that Kenny Pickett's back. Right, so now with Harris, it's sort of added emotion. I believe that will happen at the beginning. <laughs> It'll happen at the beginning of the game. There'll be this rush of emotion, and then I think the Steelers will have an adrenaline dump and just go back to who they are, which is a below-average team with a below-average quarterback. And I think the Raiders will come Pull in fired up and okay. will take care of business. So mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not buying into the emotion is going to carry you. A very below average Steelers team to a victory. Well, I did tell a couple of people. I thought I said earlier this week. I thought the Steelers were going to win, but and that was before Franco. But I just think now for sure. I I just you know the way that we saw the the Raiders play in the second half last week didn't impress me. They I mean New England blew that game. Yeah, 
you know. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. See what happens. It'll be it'll be fun to watch. It'll be fun to watch with all the the memories that'll be talked about with about Franco Harris and the Immaculate Reception and whatnot. And let's not forget that this was this was a big time AFC rivalry in the seventies when you and I were growing up, right? When we were watching sports. I mean, that was it was a big rivalry. Not a division rivalry, but a big AFC rivalry. If not for the Steelers, how many AFC championships, how many times did the Raiders go to the Super Bowl if not for the Steelers, right? Yeah. Madden and Noel, Bradshaw and Stabler. This is, this is a big-time robbery. So, Gold Knights tonight. I'm going down there. Check it out. I've already gotten a text. Way too early for must-win, but no. you got to freaking win the game. Come on. No, they got to win they're, they're bad. The Coyotes are bad. Yes. It's uh, the Golden Knights got to find their offensive game, and they have to be more aggressive, and they have to really push. Now that being said, they did throw forty three shots at uh, UPL the other night, and let me tell you, this dude was unbelievable. He was lights out. They, I mean, that it was that was a, that was a that was a treat to watch, just in terms of the skill that he exhibited. Um, but yeah, I think Vegas has to come to play. Uh, well, we say this all the time, but they, they really need to generate their offense. They need to be stronger on their forecheck, and they need to stop trying to come up with the big play. They're trying to make the stretch pass. They're trying to make the big run, a breakaway. They're trying to get free someone loose, send the puck. It ends up getting dumped, and then you end up in, a, in the corner in the boards. Fundamentally sound hockey, pass the puck, get over the blue line, set it up, and generate your shots. That's what's going to win this game. That's what's going to get them back to playing fluid hockey. Are they getting to a breaking point with the injuries where they could go into a real funk here on the road too? I, I don't know because, I mean, let's think about it. I mean, yes, you don't want to lose guys like Jack Eichel, you know, and um, but when you look at what this team did last year, um, the, which they didn't make the playoffs, but just saying – They've they've kind of, this is a roster that's kind of been used to, you know they're sort of battle tested, in a sense, they they they've been able to prepare. They know they did it under a different coach. Cassie didn't know what you know he he wouldn't I don't know what he would have done with that injury plague team. But the guys it's themselves they got to be going in the locker room going guys, we've been down a lot more manpower than we are now. Let's go. You know what I found interesting? Tage Thompson from the Buffalo Sabers and Alex Tuck told me the other night that Aposco came in. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Captain. And delivered a passionate speech between the first and second periods. He goes, sometimes that's what it takes. And we have a great captain that came in and said the right things. Maybe Mark Stone needs to come in and not Bruce and say something. Let's close out the show with a giveaway. We got two tickets. New Year's Eve. Wow, this is a nice present. New Year's Eve. Kevin Hart. Reality check tour. New Year's Eve and January 1st playing at Resorts World. You can grab your tickets at AXS.com. It's AXS.com. We've got New Year's Eve tickets for Kevin Hart. Caller 22 right now. Caller 22, 364-1100, 364-1100. Who's more excited for football this week? Willie with his Cowboys and the Eagles or me? I'll go third person. Cofield with my Jets and the Jaguars. I'm excited. I don't know who's more excited. I'm excited I'm to pumped. see it, but I but I I actually think that the Eagles Okay, hopeful. Who's more hopeful? Oh. Uh, who's gonna win? I think you should be more hopeful than I should. 
Really? Yeah, even with no that, hurts. Even with that clown Minshew. Minshew mania. Yeah, no. What's wrong with you? Why are you down? Dak, Dak in the interceptions. Dak's been playing a little Defense subpar, and I think Philadelphia's going to come up with a chip on its shoulder. Hmm. It's going to be a very emotional night for me because you know when uh, the Jets blew their chance to get Trevor Lawrence a couple of years ago in the draft by winning yeah. at the end of the season, I cried. I, l- I literally did. Literally did. Well, um, the will be there for you. If uh, no, she won't be here. She, when Jets games actually mean something, which is almost never, she's she, she'll get the hell out. She knows. It's lunatic time. Out of control. <laughs>